Well, good afternoon, uh, good morning to some of you, good late afternoon to some of our European counterparts and broader, uh, those that are abroad. My name is John Carroll. I'm the CEO and founder of the Service Council. Welcome to today's uh, segment of the In Service podcast series um, hosted by the Service Council, brought to you today by CARE AR, um, a, a really strong partner of the Service Council. We are incredibly grateful to have um, Sam Whiteberg on our uh, advisory board, uh, the uh, president of that organization. And, and today, um, I'm incredibly pleased to be joined by his colleague, Lance Anderson. Lance is the vice president of industrial solutions at KRAR. Lance, we'll ask you for an introduction shortly, but a quick Vanna White wave. <laughs> hey, everybody. <laughs> uh, warm welcome. Um, so uh, from, from today's point of view, um, we'd like to make these discussions interactive. Um, Lance has a lot of industry background, a lot of experience um, in, in this space, and he's going to be sharing some of those viewpoints today. If you wanted to um, submit some questions, uh, some reactions, some comments of your own, maybe even pose some questions of your own for your own organization inside the comments section, we can create a discussion here. And we'll try to get an immediate reaction. So if you have something for Lance or myself, uh, we'll try to pause and and make sure we uh, we do our best to uh, practice what we preach in terms of customer responsiveness and get you a response. Um, today's podcast will be uh, recorded. It will be accessible on whatever platform you use, whether it's YouTube, Apple, Spotify, Overcast, whatever podcast subscription platform you have, uh, you can find it there. You can find it uh, on LinkedIn as well, and you can find it at the Service Council's website um, as a resource moving forward. Um, so without further ado, let's go ahead and jump in here. Lance, yep. I just introduced you in terms of role and function. Could you sure. more broadly introduce yourself, your career, a little bit about yourself and uh, your role yep. at CARE-AR? That'd be great. Absolutely. So um, I'm the Vice President of Industrial Solutions for CARE-AR. Um, which means uh, I have the fun job of, of uh, applying our technology to a myriad of field service use cases. Um, prior to, to Carry R, um, I did run my own consultancy, and uh, that consultancy was focused on uh, applying augmented reality and AI in the industrial space, predominantly customer support, field service, uh, you know, manufacturing heavy machinery, th 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 those roles. Um, Prior to that, uh, I've been in the, the augmented reality space for a while now, since about 2014, which makes me a little bit of an OG in this uh, in this fledgling uh, industry, um, and uh, and the application of augmented reality specifically in the enterprise and industrial use use space. Um, prior to that, I was in industry, right? I was uh, designing warehouse systems and software and installing uh, conveyor systems and supporting all of that. So I have bled the blood, I have cried the tears, I have felt the pain of many of those uh, on the other side of the call today. Um, and uh, and so I really enjoy bringing this type of technology and applying it uh, specifically to field service, which is obviously near and dear to my heart, as I just said. Um, and now, uh, and Carry R, so let me, uh, if you don't, you know, I'll go into exactly who Carry R yeah, is. Please do. Um, so Carry R, um, we, we are a, a service management platform, technology platform that leverages augmented reality and artificial intelligence to drive better outcomes for our clients. What does that really mean? It means we're applying augmented reality at the point of work, right? And so where work is getting done, where heads up, hands free, hands on uh, work is getting done, where the instructions stop, work happens, results happen, 
and uh, and service is is executed. Um, and so we provide that within uh, three modules of software. We have an assist, uh, which is a remote augmented reality collaboration. You can imagine uh, COVID was uh, was a boon for that type of technology when folks couldn't travel. How do we collaborate in a more intuitive and real way? Um, we also have our carry our instruct, which is which is our self serve self solve. Uh, part of our module, right? So providing, let's say a chatbot provides a, uh, a suggestive uh, diagnosis process or a fixed process to a customer or even to a new technician in the field. Um, we have our experience builder, which is the content builder of those instruct experiences, which is um, really kind of first in the industry in terms of code, codeless content creation. Think about the shop boss being able to actually create this type of step-by-step -step augmented reality instruction and deliver it right out to their field techs, right? Not some big year-long multi tens of thousands of dollars content creation. So it really does bring content to the actual users for the first time, which is great. And then of course we have our, our AI insights, uh, carry our insights, which takes all of this data that we capture. So not just knowledge that's there, but think about the video of when someone is performing a fix all of that content adding up iteratively in the thousands and thousands and thousands of, of gigabytes and now tagging and, and and capturing all that information for future AI insights, right? You have to capture your data now as, as the AI insights are a bit of a laggard, right? You have to have content and, and data to get those things to you. So, so that's part of our, our solution. So that's what we provide. Long story short, what we provide our clients is a, um, is a platform by which to reduce costs to leverage a, a new and younger workforce uh, and to really drive customer uh, ROI and satisfaction. And, and that's a great segue to circle back to, to, to the topic of today's uh, podcast, which is five ways to drive value and innovation yeah. now, right? Yeah. This is a precarious time for many organizations. Yeah. There's a lot of financial headwinds. There's a lot of geopolitical activities that are causing craziness everywhere around the world. Um, and um, so we're going to talk about five critical ways that Lance and I iterated together around co-creating, you know, ways that you can innovate and derive value right now for your organization. And, you know, I just want to reflect on some of the introduction that you made there, the, the concept of visual support technologies and AI and all these uh, intelligence platform uh, yep. platforms that are coming together. Um, it's it's just really critical right now in terms of those organizations that are trying to mature towards that predictive and proactive and maybe even outcome-based services methodologies where everybody's kind of pointed right now. Um, and, and the notion of being able to apply guided or scripted workflows, um, the opportunity to uh, focus on anomaly detection and looking at proactively mm -hmm. looking for those anomalies to support your agents when they're in the field couldn't be more critical right now. And we think that visual support technologies is a, um, a, a prerequisite, if you will, of uh, embarking on that proactive and predictive journey. Um, so let's go ahead and segue forward. So, you know, we, we do a lot of research, Lance. Um, one of the recent research surveys that we did um, is the 2023 Service Leaders Agenda Survey. And we had about 100 service executives respond and we asked them, what are the key focus areas for the next 12 months? And one through four was service operations performance management, service innovation, 
expansion of the service portfolio and customer experience initiatives. Now, this is different from previous years. If I go backwards, 2020 was a a year of business continuity. Cost took the top prize in terms of number one. Um, 2021, 2022 ended up being revenue oriented. Uh, 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 You know, organizations were turning their attention towards growth. This year, it we we are we're kind of labeling it in in a bifurcated way. Internally, it's a year of preservation. We've all heard the talent crisis, the yeah. the, the capacity issues, the uh, the the hunt for talent, the battle for talent, the war for talent. Um, how do we succession plan? How do we plan for retirement? How do we avoid engagement issues? Um, so from a from an internal perspective, we're hearing a lot about a preservation mindset. On the external, we're hearing the opposite. We're hearing innovation and growth. Are, you know, a lot of organizations are seeking to avoid commoditization in their customer experience. Um, they're they're looking to further derive revenue from service as a line of business. Um, and so that's kind of how we're looking at the year as we reflect on the data. I'm curious to get your reaction. Are you hearing similar things in market? I am, and I and I'll tell you what the, the <laughs> I hear exactly that. And then when we get into the C level discussions of well, here's our proposal, the pushback is that's great, but right now I need results today. And if this means we have to push out the word innovation, everybody wants to do it in digital transformation, and and, and folks need to do that. What what we're seeing is, and I've seen this throughout my career, and I'm sure many folks on this one, is these type of macroeconomic disruptions, real or not, whatever side of the fence you're on, they tend to stop innovation. They tend to kill these multi-year projects, right? And like an AI, you're putting in AI and you want all this, that takes time, not just to put in the software and to capture the data, but to har- to get enough data to harvest predictive, right? That takes time. And these types of disruptions tend to stop that and it's tracks. Now, all of a sudden, Budget gets pulled, resources change, people leave the company, and here we have these, you know, half-done projects, right? So what we're talking about is, well, how do we how do we deal with the reality of 2023 financially and still stay on that path and move forward, right? So, but I'll answer it very specifically uh, internally sure. in terms of preservation. Um, yes, it's, a, it's acute this year, right? It's the, this whole economic, it's exacerbated the issue of where is our talent? We can't hire anybody. We have attrition. We have all that. But is that story really that different than it's been the last two years, five years, 10 years, 20 years? Not really. So what we talk to folks about is 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 looking at your innovative technologies to solve this problem, not for immediate, but forever. Stop looking at young, uneducated or not educated, un, untrained talent that seems to turn over. Turn that into into your workflow, turn that into your talent and create a system by which to harvest and manage that and leverage it financially, right? So if you can, if you can use lower cost techs, maybe even third parties at some times, as effectively as you can a 20 or 30 year old guy or girl who's been in your organization and has that knowledge, if you can do that, do that and then trumpet it out there to your clients and say, I'm going to do the same or better in terms of results for less. And so Pick a technology that can that can enable this type of um, talent, young turnover talent, and train them not in the classroom, but while they're doing their work, always on. We call it always on training, like a little telementor sitting on your shoulder. Uh, and when we call predictive 
uh, AI. And that's that's the tap on the shoulder that says, hey, take a look at this over here. We heard, uh, you know, a sound, you know, our speakers heard a sound that sounds like the bearings might be wearing out that a human's not going to hear. And how do we how do we suggest to that technician that while they're fixing something, maybe they check this out over here. It's that kind of stuff where technology is actually working with the human being in the field um, where we're going to see these results. I love the discussion here. Um, you, you, to kind of summarize what I'm hearing is similar to what we've been preaching, which is this notion of elevating your digital transformation to creating a, a what's called a technician agnostic platform, yeah. right? That Correct. you've got this aging demographic with this empirical and historical yeah. knowledge that's leaving quickly. Let's capture yeah. it quick. You've got this young demographic that's coming in, less engaged. You might train them for two years and and then they leave, yep. and that's that's a big challenge in terms of the investments. And then you've got this opportunity, as you frame it, to look at lower cost resources and perhaps upskill and reskill, and and then think about the expansion of your service network to include third party, independents, mm -hmm. franchisees, dealers, yep. in many cases. And as the the further you go away from you know the the manufacturer of an asset yep. and the customer on the center right the further you go the, the more complex and disconnected you get so the way that we see organizations uh trying to address this is by creating this what we call a technician agnostic platform yep. which helps with basically leveling the playing field for anybody within the service experience at the moment of truth in front of the customer sure. um so we've been talking about that for for quite a while and Great segue. Um, so let's let's go into um, the number the the five reasons here, the five ways that uh, we've framed here. <laughs> Everybody loves so top five list. Let's hit. let's go. Let's go. Uh, so number one, uh, we we framed it as this concept of shifting left. So service organizations are obviously enthusiastically um, because of cost reduction opportunities, they're, they're meeting customers on their channel of choice, right? They, it, it, which is quick, quickly become self-service or remote service. So a lot of customers don't want to wait, uh, for the, the technician to come on a, on a dispatch, um, scenario. Um, so there's, there's an opportunity to derive greater accuracy of triage and diagnosis, which can do two things from our perspective. It can reduce the time to resolution, so happier customers, and 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 you've got that cost reduction. In many instances, you can you can avoid a dispatch altogether and remotely resolve. Um, and then, second to that, you've got this increasing workforce utilization, right? So, capacity challenges. We just talked a little bit about it. Um, when you have greater accuracy and preparation upon or prior to arrival, you're better prepared to resolve the issue uh, while while on site. So. The time to resolution issue resolution time goes down uh, as the customer experience goes up, right? Of course. Um, are you witnessing these types of things becoming core to some of your customers in the segments that you all support? hundred oh, percent. It's core to carry R. I mean, it's it's really the foundation of what our technology is trying to to help with, and, and that's to create a more intuitive human experience uh, through technology. And a collaboration that, again, is, is more human. Human beings um, gather 80% of all information visually, right? And so everybody's been a technician on this call. I know it. Everybody's been on a phone asking someone to describe what the problem is. And, and, and the example I always use is just imagine you're, you're 3,000 miles across the country and you're trying to explain to your mother 
how to uh, set up her modem and do it on a phone. <laughs> God bless you, right? Um, <laughs> what, 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 what I say is now, now make that visual. Instead of trying to, to you take the vocabulary out of it, right? Don't put in the Cat5 cable into the, into the HDMI input and all this kind of stuff. No, go have a visual point of view sharing video where you can circle something with a little green circle and say that port. And then a little arrow says that cable, put it in there. That's it. Uh, a red X over the port you're not supposed to use. I don't care what language you speak. I don't care your education level. You know what that means. And this type of collaboration that that takes the uh, technical jargon out of the conversation that lets you visually know real time that you're in front of the right object, that you're in front of the right piece of equipment, um, not just to fix things, but to diagnose. Yeah. Right. And so um, one of Carrier's, or, well, our largest client, Xerox, um, they have 6000 technicians in the field. And they installed Carrier and they used ServiceNow FSM at the same time. And it was all about their technicians, how to drive them a better first time fix rate when their technicians got to site. What they actually learned was they started to use the technology when the customer called in. How do we diagnose what's wrong? Here's what, oh, my printer just doesn't work. The, 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 the ink is jammed. Well, instead of just going through a, a, a blind checklist whether your L1 agent is just checking the boxes, asking questions, what model number, all that. It's let's have a visual collaboration. Show me. Oh, wait a minute. That's not it. It's can you can you take a look over here and show me? Ah, I, yep, I see what it is. Right. It's the injector part. So we just diagnosed it accurately, quickly. And now we'll get the right part, the right technician with the right tool set and potentially line up a, a an expert, remote expert that is going to help with the finer points of putting this in all lined up scheduled so that you get that done the first time. So obviously avoiding the truck roll is the, is the, is the thing that everybody wants the clients from a revenue perspective, all that kind of stuff. When that can't happen, things break, they need to be replaced. Yeah. You need to make sure you've got the right person, the right part, and you get it done the first time. Now your client is satisfied. You're satisfied. You've minimized your costs. Um, and, and, and you move forward with that. So, that's what we see. That's what our technology helps with. And, um, you know, John, bring me, bring me back down to, to earth here and, uh, and uh, we can uh, knock off a couple of these other five. No, that's number one. That's number one. So a quick capturing and summary, shifting left, meeting the yep. customers where they want to be met. Yep. Uh, there, it, it obviously creates a faster uh, customer response time, perhaps even issue resolution. Yep. It also helps with um, avoiding costs or eliminating costs. By way of more accurately uh, triaging and diagnosing the yep. issues, so you arrive with the right part, the right skill set, the right technician, yep. um, but also that they understand the scenario when they're going in in terms of scenario planning and what resources they need yep. and, and so on and so forth. So uh, shifting left was the number one way that we can drive innovation now. Let's go to number two. So we do a, an adjacent research survey uh, called the Voice of the Field Service Engineer. And we're about to launch it actually in April. Um, and we get several thousand technicians that respond and we ask them a day in the life. What do they like, dislike? What do they spend most of their day doing? What would they ask management for? Are they satisfied with the career? Um, there were some alarming trends coming out of it. Um, one of which ties back to the talent availability issue. Um, I'll leave it at that. Uh, we saw a huge lack of engagement at the Gen Z, Gen Y and Gen X level, which is about 75% typically of a workforce. Um, 
so that was uh, two thirds of the community. That demographic uh, was planning to leave the profession and not maintain mm -hmm. uh, the profession for the duration of their career. Um, so that was one of the alarming trends. But one of the other things that came through in the data was that the engineers unilaterally agree that the knowledge required uh, that uh, the technology uh, um, sophistication, yeah. um, that the the services, the, the, the products that are being serviced in general, they're just more complex. They're, they require more skill set. They require more training. They require more technical um, uh, skill set. And, and so uh, when we look at the, the areas that they don't enjoy in their day-to-day -day job, it's paperwork and administrative tasks is always going to be number one. Uh, but number two, right behind it, was the time they spend finding information. Sure. So, the num so the number two area we're framing for our listening audience in terms of opportunities to innovate now is this, this notion of the, the parallel that exists between customers and employees. So how can we create an effortless experience for our workforce, uh, just like we're trying to do for our customers, right? So we're trying to eliminate the, the, the hurdles, the obstacles, and all the things that drive up customer effort in terms of seeking and receiving support. And the same should be done for employees. Um, and obviously, we all agree and subscribe to the theory that employee sentiment is a strong indicator of customer sentiment. Um, you've got increased retention when you eliminate all the uh, free, the um, the friction in both experiences, um, and uh, of course the the whole upskilling and reskilling and leveling of the playing field um, can can help you empower that expanded network as well. So, um, can you talk just a little yeah. bit about the the role of the field service engineer? Are you hearing similar things within your customers? I am. It, it, what we hear is is what are the reasons given that a technician leaves that company or, or, the, or the field altogether, right? So put your tech hat on. If any or all of you have been out in the field, right? Why, why were you doing that job? You like to fix things, right? You want to feel confident that you can fix it, that you're the man, you're the woman, you're the one who can solve this problem for the client. You want your client to be happy. You want a high five at the end, right? You're in the, your partners, right? Your partners and you're the one in the field. Right, you're facing the customer. We have a problem. The system's down. A lot of pressure. You want to be the hero, right? Yep. So let's give yep. these folks the tools by which to be the hero. And if yep. we think that we're going to put a technician in classroom training, train them on these very complex electromechanical, now very computer centric systems, by the time we train them, we have iterated that device. It has a new system. It you're never going to be able to catch up. So we have to flip the script. You need to use technology that connects your knowledge base, right, to the work that's being done and provide your folks with the right tools. They don't want a manual and a wrench. They want a smartphone, right? They want to have content delivered via video, via augmented reality, right, overlaying, showing me what I need to do on the actual work that's, that's getting done. Um, technicians, what they need, what we need to do is, is shrink the, the data by which they need to choose from. And that's yeah. where predictive AI and insights come in. If there's a, a world of issues that could be wrong with this machine, let's use predictive analysis and, uh, and data and probability to say, you know what, these are the three things that most likely are causing the problem. Let's start there. And then let the technician with their, with their dexterous hands and dexterous brains make that right choice, right? Let's just limit the world by which the choices they need to make so they can execute more confidently and more effectively, right? So it's the tool. It's the amount of information that we give them. 
Um, and then the third thing we hear from technicians is, you know, no one ever listens to me when I, I, we tend to do the same wrong things over and over again. So make sure that your technology has a way to capture the work that's being done and the data, the results from what's actually working and feed that back into your system, right? Not just by a suggestion, the technician says, hey, I have a good idea, but iteratively watching a video and capturing that video of, of a, a, the same type of repair, the same type of fix and noticing the nuances, that's only something a computer can do, right? Iterative, iterative, iterative to now make that prediction, say, hey, look, we've connected these two or three things that the human wouldn't connect. And maybe this can help you either eliminate this problem in your product development or provide a, a tool or a training that is going to make sure that we nail that the first time and we don't wait to, to fix this. So I'll summar, summarize it, the right tools, right? The right amount of content and the, the feedback loop to make your technicians be the hero on site. They want to be the hero. Let's let them be the hero. Um, and that will provide a better job satisfaction, longer retention. Your clients are going to be happier, right? And, and that bleeds into, that is your product, field service product. They are your technicians and the results that they bring. And let's not forget that. So let's make our product modernized and let's make them effective and, and let's listen to the field. Outstanding viewpoints there, Lance. Thank you very much for for offering your 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 uh, opinion on the topic. I think um, just in in quick summary for our listening audience, the number two was seeking to um, uh, eliminate friction and looking at the the parallel that exists between customer and employees. Right, that the the way that we measure uh, satisfaction, the way that we're trying to create proactive experiences. Um, and uh, that would be the number two opportunity to innovate now. We have a couple of uh, comments from our listening and now participating audience. Thank you so much. Uh, we're going to get a, an, an instant reaction here. We've got Christo Christopher Adamson, excuse me, who asked the question, Lance, what approaches has your organization taken to help ensure field adoption of the technology to support driving the organization's desired value? from its use in the service request process? I think this is a great question, by the way. I'd love to get your viewpoints. Field adoption is key, right? So um, the way that we've, as Carrier, we, we've approached this is by, as I've said, I've probably repeated this a few times now, is that we create very human intuitive tools, right? So that just by the nature of augmented reality being, I hold something up, I get a red X on something and a green check, it's quick. It's fast. I understand it. It's, it gets me right back to what I, what I need to do. Right. So, so that's good. In terms of adoption, I, I think when, when we roll out field service management software or we roll out knowledge management and it quite often, it just feels like here's more guardrails. Here's more data. You got input. Here's more paperwork, whether it's digital paperwork or real paper, it's still paperwork, right? Yeah. Here's, here's more stuff that you need to do so that we can feed our big monster machines behind us so that we can tell you what to do. No. Participation. So if your field is participating in the development and rollout of this technology, then they're part of it. And, and adoption and, and knowledge transfer and, and all that change, that just happens. And they're excited yeah. about it. So we talked about content creation. So creating instructions for, for field use, right? If that's created from the perspective of the actual field technician, which is kind of the deep end of the pool, or at least the, the management, 
uh, the business unit owner that can create step-by-step -step instructions, a little bit of video, a little bit of augmented reality, a little bit of, of data delivered digitally on a phone or a tablet while someone's holding it up. Um, now it feels real. It's not classroom training. It's, it's none of that stuff. So they're involved. We have some users who actually have their field technicians create content. So quick example, uh, we're in the field, we come up to uh, an HVAC system, right? and, there, and there's an issue with it. You, you follow all the manuals, you get it, it, you've fixed it, it won't turn back on, right? What do we do? Well, you, you, who's the manager? We call the, uh, you know, uh, Sheila, she's been fixing these machines for 30 years. You know, she's like, oh yeah, go ask the homeowner for a bag of ice and put it on the thermocoupler. Like what? <laughs> that's, not, that's not a manual. Well, the thermocoupler is still overheated. <laughs> and it's tripping. It's not going to turn on. So lower the temperature on that. Flick it. Yeah, you made the right fix. It's something like that, right? So so how do you do You're not going to write a manual about that. That's not going to be in a manual. But make a quick video checklist or, or whatever it is. Serve that out to your, your folks. Real rudimentary, you know, field tech type content and involve everybody. So what, the, what yeah. this customer did was have the field technicians actually film something that says, we don't have data on this part number, this, this, this machine. I'm going to film myself fixing this, right? Yep. And I step one, step two, step three, and they'll film it. And until they have a better, more professional version of that fix, that becomes the content that lives on the knowledge management system. So it's a self-feeding thing. Now technicians are like, wait a minute, I'm part of it. I'm being heard. I'm the expert. I have a video that's part of this thing. Oh, man, that just flips the script. And, and now all of a sudden you've got all this video coming in and you say, okay, everybody time out. You know, you're not all, uh, you know, Francis Ford Coppola out there, you know, you're actually field techs. Let's get back to the job. But I think you get my point. I joke a little bit on the yeah. last point, but, but it's about involving everybody in the content creation and this process yes. to make this kind of self-healing forever growing uh, content repository of knowledge that is done in a visual way and that, that others can access. And, and that's what this type of technology can bring. Including the front line involve yeah. the front line yeah. in this change um you know we're uh, we reflect on the research data all the time and one of the data points that screamed to me was that um four out of ten uh field technicians didn't feel like they had a role in innovation at their company and six out of ten even worse didn't feel like management listened and reacted to their input to improve the business um, so if you're leaving them out of that change management process, two things are going to happen. You're not going to get the view from the front line. And secondly, you're going to um, discourage them in terms of their sentiment, right? So when it comes time to adopt, it's going to be the new flavor of the month, another feature and functionality in the field, another mobile tool, and it's not going to be something that's utilized. Um, yeah. And so... Um, the, the other thing that I would cite is that we, we, we continue to hear challenges with respect to integrating some of the technologies. There's been a lot of modernization efforts, but threading it into the process workflows has been yeah. one of the greatest cited issues in terms of adoption and just making it part of the family instead of, you know, you know, Hawaii's like barely part of the family. It's over there on the coast. It's an island, right? <laughs> so how do we bring a Hawaii closer to the uh, continental U.S., right? So I think there's uh, an element of integrating the the technology into process workflows that uh, there's still some improvement on uh, that needs to happen. Thank you very much, Christopher. Great uh, discussion. Um, let's go. Let's go to another one here. Uh, Juan Cruz, thank you very much. 
Um, how deep is your product? You talked about some of your customers. You sprinkled, sprinkled little fairy dust here across the discussion. Xerox was one of the major brands, 6,000 technicians, very complex. But how, how deep is your product uh, in the medical device space? How, how much uh, penetration do you have in that particular segment? Um, so it's good. I'll, 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 I'll split. So there's the manufacturing creation of medical devices, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, uh, and then there's the servicing of medical devices. I'll tell you, in the in the U.S., it is still very difficult um, servicing equipment inside the four walls of a hospital. Um, outside of the United States, nope, it's pretty easy. So we we have to regionalize where this question is coming from. But talk, think about an MRI machine or an ultrasound machine or what have you. Um, the use, the calibration, uh, and the simple fix or maintenance of these machines, um, our technology. Let's apply what we were just talking about. Let's make it simple and intuitive for someone who doesn't have the training by which to fix this. So the nurse practitioner, right? Let's make sure that we provide instructions that are intuitive and simple with augmented reality in a digital way that allows them to do the calibration. Record that calibration to make sure it's correct. um, And then make sure you're you're providing instructions that are what we call self-validating. So validated work, meaning step one, flick the switch up. Step two, well, wait a minute. Our camera, our, our computer vision saw that that switch didn't go up. Guess what? You don't get step two. Nope, step one, was, step one wasn't done correct. So if you validate this, you can use technicians uh, that are trained to provide the services and not maintain this equipment to actually maintain the equipment, right? In a way that more uptime, more use of the equipment, more revenue for the doctor or the, or the facility in, in and of itself, right? So that's yeah. super upfront. But yes, sometimes these, this equipment goes down. This equipment is very usually bespoke. Yeah, ultrasounds and MRIs, there's thousands of them. But some of the bigger equipment, you know, what are there? 2,000 devices globally. Uh, think about Siemens, you know, there's a, they're a client of ours. Um, they create some amazing technology. Uh, and we, have, we had a, a use case where they had to change out a, 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 light, a light, uh, light bulb in the, in the middle of this gigantic machine. Follow the instructions to take it all apart, blah, 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 put it back together. That process was quite often done. You had a little extra washer. You got a little extra part left over. That doesn't work in a medical device, right? <laughs> so, again, validated work, taking them through this process. And that was actually for the field technician, the well-trained technician. It's just super complex. Every machine is slightly different. So if you don't have this contextual information as you do it, um, the rework was where all the loss was. It was lost in the in the money to pay the technician to do it again, and of course machine downtime. Um, so so that's where we are. There's a lot of at home technology that we're looking into right now, mm-hmm. as as medical devices come into the home, uh, folks spend less time in the hospital. Well, calibrating a device uh, again, this is actually the customer, the consumer, doing this work as opposed to sending a technician out, right? So the the viability of sending certain medical equipment into the home is dependent upon the customer being able to calibrate and service it at its most rudimentary, uh, you know, basic stuff that needs to be done. So if, if this, our type of technology isn't imparted on that product, it's never going to get into the home. Um, so home care and all that kind of stuff. So that's where we're headed. Where we are right now is providing uh, a fantastic visual and validated workflow uh, for components that are in the field today. Um, and the last thing I'll say about this is I'm really excited. This is something that gets me excited is in the third world countries. So, um, you know, in, in Asia and Africa, 
right? They don't have medical where we are today in terms of hospitals and all this kind of stuff. But this type of technology is going to allow them to skip that whole build hospitals, build all these facilities, bring everybody to the hospital to just taking medicine to where it's needed. Right. And they're going to skip that huge infrastructure thing that took us 30, 40 years. And they're going to be able to bring smaller mobile medical devices to the smaller villages and the areas uh, of poverty where it's needed, where travel is just not even a choice. Um, so that's where this technology is going. And that's something that makes me super excited uh, as we uh, do a little more than just, uh, you know, make sure that our air conditions are running. Sometimes we're, there is some life saving things that we can do. So I'm excited <laughs> about the medical device space. Uh, and as regulation comes up to speed with the technologies we're providing, you'll see more and more of this. Uh, but the pressure is there from the consumer uh, and from the users to drive the regulations uh, to make the change to accept this type of technology. Outstanding. Thank you for your response. And uh, thank you to Juan for your participation. Juan Cruz is an advisory board, one of our recent appointees to our advisory board. So Juan, mm -hmm. thank you for that. Um, so again, we're talking about five ways to innovate now. We've talked about number one was uh, shifting left, right? Uh, meeting the customer where they want to be met, remote, self-service. Uh, and there's many opportunities for, for cost reduction and workforce utilization and accuracy of triage and diagnosis that can result from that. The number two area was the, the parallel that exists with respect to customers and employees, right? Being proactive. Um, guiding and scripting workflows, looking for anomalies, um, and then uh, scripting and, and proactively supporting both customers and employees. And there's so many parallels with which, which exist in terms of uh, removing friction and creating an effortless experience for both and how there's a dependency between employee sentiment and customer sentiment. So that's number one and number two. Number three is just, just an overarching cost reduction opportunity. Um, and we, we talk about meeting the customer where they are. Well, you know, we, we project that dispatch costs are, are somewhere, uh, depending on where uh, the, the current gasoline rate is, <laughs> um, <laughs> somewhere in the range of $250 to $2,500. And, and really, it could scale even further than that when you get into some of the more complex industries where it's multi-day uh, sometimes even multi-site visits, uh, requires travel, um, it, it starts to scale out of control. So the cost of dispatch uh, is a, it, the single greatest cost to a service organization, quite honestly. Um, and when you're avoiding dispatch, it, it obviously reduces and eliminates cost. Another area is um, the workforce efficiency slant that we've already talked about a little bit. The number one manner that FSEs are relying to, to become unstuck when they're in the field is phoning a friend. And we've done some cost projection analysis. Um, oh, oh, by the way, phoning a friend, 80% of the time field technicians rely on it. Yeah. Crazy. Cray cray, as my kids say. Um, and, and, and when that happens, two technicians get stuck uh, if you don't have that internal tech support arm. Um, and if 20% of your staff gets stuck daily and the average duration is 15 minutes of that call, it, we've done some cost analysis breakdown and it's about $1,000 per technician on an annualized basis. So if you have 500 technicians, that's a half a million dollars in costs that you can add, cost savings, I should say, that you can add to your bottom line in terms of uh, removing that dependency on phoning a friend. Are you witnessing some of these trends in terms of 
Yep. You know, when you're thinking about you're you're talking about some really cool technology and how it's enabling some of your customers, when they go when it's time to build an ROI analysis and a total cost of ownership, those are just some of the cost reductions. Are you seeing those? Are you seeing others? What are what are you seeing and hearing? I, I like the slant of this question because when we talk about avoiding the truck roll, at predominantly in our minds, we the customer has solved their own problem. Yeah. Right? That's what we mean. Okay, fine. Sometimes the truck has to roll. We all know it. Yeah. We wouldn't own trucks if we didn't. Truck has to roll. So now you have a technician on site, whether it's whether it's your company technician, a third party, what have you. So what what are their methods by which to figure things out when they don't go as planned? Where do they go? Do they have do they go to your field service management system? Do they just literally pull out the manual and flip through the pages? Are you, where's your knowledge? Where's all your knowledge managed? Okay. That's step one. It's somewhere. It can be a manual. It can be in a spreadsheet. It can be in someone's brain. Let's, how often is that really happening? Or, or you could own, a, you know, ServiceNow or Oracle and have all this stuff, right? But how are these technicians going to search for that information? All right. What, what our, our platform does is provide uh, intelligent search. So is it a part number? Is it an issue? What have you? Um, and then it's about, is that flat data? Is it just a, a, a PDF of something you want to read? Or have we have we created a step-by-step AR-based visual instruction to walk you through this? So you also have to analyze, so where are they getting their data? Fine. Can we convert that data into more intuitive step-by-step, uh, -step, sometimes validated instructions? That really depends on how often these things happen. The 80-20 rule, right? If that's a problem you've focus 80% of the time. Yeah. Let's put the effort into creating some content around that. If it's a pure anomaly, well, maybe that's not worth it. All right. Now that's step one. Step two is how is this information related to that person? Is it related in a way that they can be successful doing a checklist or, or, or verse seeing visually how you, how to actually walk through a step-by-step -step process. Right. And it's all about, um, you know, making them the expert, providing them the tools by which to self-solve. It's all about self-solving. That's how you avoid that secondary L3 update. And when it does happen, when 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 your knowledge base doesn't solve it, where they can't find the information, or quite frankly, the time has gone on so long where they're trying to self-solve, where you need them to make that phone call. Let's make that phone call visual. Let's make it a, a collaboration, a visual collaboration. A, let's make it faster. And when that person calls in, can an L1 technician and not your L3, can your L1 technician help solve that problem? Let's try to make sure that we have the, the access to the knowledge pieces to do that. Um, and the last part of this, I would say, is when that expert needs to be called in, make sure it can be done remotely. All right. That second truck roll, you see three or four vans show up. Gosh, you can just see the numbers just in the money flying out. <laughs> right. Can it be done remotely? Let's make sure we have the tools by which to do it remotely. And let's capture what was done so that we can hopefully put something in place to avoid it going forward. Um, you know, I, I, I'll i quote, um, you know, pick any anal analyst, they're going to have it. Gartner put something out recently where they said in in, in the end of 2021, only 20% of field service companies were using augmented reality and AI uh, tools. Uh, and they said by 2025, it's going to be over 50%. But the winning, the winning tool set is going to be an AR AI platform that can connect to your field service management software and to your knowledge base, because that's drawing that stuff in the right thing to do next and what should be done. And then 
delivering it in a, in a visual way that is quick and human intuitive to understand and execute. That's the key. So AR, just for AR, doesn't do much, right? It has to have knowledge behind it and it has to be recorded and captured into your field service uh, platform so that you know things are done compliant, uh, that they're done safe and they're being captured by which you can charge your revenue, charge your client for it, what have you, right? So by choosing a platform that can connect those two core pieces, that's how you can deliver a better experience. Minimize your costs, lessen the time on those calls, and be able to hopefully avoid those calls by providing self-solved technical uh, knowledge pieces uh, before the next iteration of this issue. Outstanding. So thank you for your uh, discussion there. So so we, we're just talking about the number three opportunity to innovate now, which is um, this opportunity of seeking to understand what are those really near-term cost reduction opportunities within your business? And, and, and how can you project those savings across your organization? And we gave a couple of examples. There's many, many more um, that uh, we'd be happy to follow up directly with you to talk through. So that was number three. Now let's move on to number four here. We've got uh, training and knowledge capture. So we've talked about the enhancements to the efficiency of your throughput, right? You know, you, you've got customer issues coming inbound. Well, if you can remotely resolve them, that's throughput, right? That's customer issue throughput. If you have to dispatch, well, if you can do it more intelligently, um, and enable your workforce to more um, intelligently solve issues, that's, again, throughput. Um, so that is always and has always been the number one area of anticipated ben benefit from a visual support technologies transformation. The number two is the training and knowledge capture opportunity. So, you know, inputting that into the organization, creating that knowledge base to your point, um, and leveraging that uh, from two perspectives. I'm going to save the second perspective because it's our number five, if you will. Um, but the, 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 the first part is really around enabling the workforce with information to better improve their day-to-day -day in terms of training and knowledge. And that can reduce the time to value for new technicians and onboarded uh, field service engineers. Um, it, a number of different capacities in which that can make an impact. Are you hearing uh, the training and knowledge aspect often mentioned within your customers and, and prospects? We do. Um, so it's interesting. Our, our clients, the, the, the purchasing budget uh, for our type of technology, it's about a 50-50 split between the learning and knowledge owners and the actual business uh, field service uh, business unit owners. You know, and, and it's so companies come to us and those are two very different perspectives. Right. So the business unit, they've got, you know, they're just getting beaten down for the cost, right? Lower your cost, do more with less. The training unit is coming at us saying, you know, it's not working. We, we touched on this earlier. The complexity of what we're trying to, to of the, the, the machinery that we're, we're trying to fix and the systems we're trying to put together. It's so complex that we can't we can't even train on this stuff. So what do we do? We need different technologies. Um, so they come at us, but but the answer is still pretty similar. Um, it's about content. So Carryr provides a tool set that allows you to do that that expert to expert collaboration. If you have to go all the way there, that's kind of the one end of the spectrum. And the other is this self authoring um, instruction, instructional self solve, self serve, self diagnose content. 
And when I talked to learning departments, I said, let's, let's, you can keep the word learning in there, but let's, let's actually stop training and start enabling. Stop thinking about it as a training because a training is this like finite thing that happens. Have they been trained, right? Is it over? No, training never stops. Education never stops. Experience is built over iterations and, and learnings, right? So the, the idea of, of what we do is taking those experiences and pooling them together in a way that is accessible to each and every technician if and when they need it, right? So don't let them happenstance their way to, to 20 years of iterations to finally get all that knowledge. It's, it's pool that knowledge in a way that's accessible. That's what I talk to the learning departments about is pool it and make it accessible at the point of work. Like we talk about, what do you do when you run into a problem? That's what I talk to learning departments about is, is you, you're there. You're not done yet. You don't, it's not over for you when the classroom ends. You're in the field with everybody else, right? <laughs> you, have, you have stakes in this. And, and that learning, providing that knowledge, that little telementor on the shoulder, as we like to say, um, that's enablement. That enables a technician to maybe, to, maybe they just need a reminder, right? And maybe it's a confidence thing. It's like, ah, what was the, you know, I don't need augmented reality to show me a wrench that's turning like this, right? That's kind of ridiculous. <laughs> but what you need is what is the tensile strain or the pressure by which I need to set this valve, right? How tight do I need to make this? I just need a reminder. Oh, is this a, a, a 211A or is this a 211B model? And what are those differences? What are the little nuances? And you know what? It's not just the new technician that benefits from that. Quite frankly, it's the 20-year it's the guy or girl who's yep. been out there working and says, I know how to do this. And they don't even follow the instructions, but they didn't, they missed the nuance. And now they have to redo the work, right? So, so errors are made in ignorance and they're made in the mundane. And by, by, and that's why I talk to learning by, by putting this in and there's a little bit of compliance by making them follow a certain process, but also the accessibility to this knowledge enables technicians to always learn, always improve, solve, again, become the hero uh, uh, in front of the client. Outstanding. Outstanding. And knowledge capture is there, there's two kind of applications of its value to the organization, one of which is uh, the, the, the training uh, empowerment that happens, the, uh, the, the, the workforce gain from it. Right. The other is that it can be part of a closed loop process where you're empowering future product and service design, right? The whole design yep. for serviceability. So the number five way to innovate now is around commercial revenue. So one of which is the, the, the knowledge capture that empowers better product and service design. I just mentioned that. Mm -hmm. The other is we see a lot of organizations, again, circling back to externally, this is a year of innovation and growth. We see a lot of service executives prioritizing uh, the customer experience in terms of how do we avoid commoditization? How do we improve the experience so that we can monetize at a greater rate? Mm -hmm. We can convert customers at a greater rate and be differentiated in our approach. But second to that, we see a lot of service organizations seeking to compartmentalize their service offerings and when and where they have you know, visual support technologies and can do proactive and predictive support experiences. Um, that might be offered under a certain service level agreement and might be a, 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 a proactive uh, approach, a proactive service mm -hmm. level agreement that might be above a typical service level agreement. So the commercial revenue arm is, is another huge one. And as we see organizations turn their way towards innovation and growth, we think that this is another area of potential yeah. impact. Um, are you hearing similar things? Or is this... Uh, 
empowering commercial revenue growth uh, within your customers? Sure. I, I mean, I'll start with this. So, so Xerox, who actually um, purchased Carrier after being Carrier's biggest client, recognized that not only could this help us internally, but we can sell this, right? We can sell this technology as part of our maintenance contracts, right? Or as a maintenance contract upgrade to our clients. So why would they do that? Like, think about the the, the old structure. Here's your maintenance contract, you know, $100,000 a year, whatever, right? And uh, here's the uh, resolution, you know, uh, here's the downtime we agreed to, here's the uptime, uh, mean time to fix that we all agree on. And then we just, you know, we arm wrestle over that and it is what it is. So if the contract like that, if I'm a client, I have a good problem, like, get yourself out here as fast as possible and fix my problem. Well, Lance, you know, let me walk you, don't walk me through, just get someone in a car and get out here and get it fixed, right? Yep. Let's change the script on even how we create these maintenance contracts. What if I charged you less if you were able to self-solve? What? What if I only charged you for usage? Carrier has a usage model, right? If you don't use it, you don't use it. If you use it, you know, I don't know, let's charge you $100 per usage. Wow, that seems high. Does it seem high when, you're, when your printer's not printing? No, no. You would pay three times that to get it done, right? Um, yep. So changing the, the contractual models allow for a completely different result and customer participation. If they get rewarded for self-solving, they're going to self-solve, right? Yep. Um, if they get rewarded for self-solving, they're going to fund the content and knowledge creation that allows them to self-solve, right? And that builds a company's internal uh, repertoire by which to serve other clients, right? That's that's the Xerox model, right? If we can fix it ourselves, this is the same equipment that our customers are using. Let's help them self-diagnose. Let's help them self-solve. Let's help them self-fix. So it's a little bit of a Tom Sawyer situation, if, if you can remember that, right? Where, uh, you know, Huck is eating the apple and the other kid's painting the fence, right? And happily doing so. Can we change our service model where the client is, is paying us for service and self-solving at the same time but is thrilled, right? Well, uh, so we have, to ch- we have to flip the script a little bit. So there's yeah. revenue to be made out here. So that's a little bit of the shift left concept, but we actually yeah. run into some issues with our technology. So refrigeration in, uh, you know, large scale uh, grocery operations, that's one of the biggest issues they have. If a unit fails, they have, I forget, it's about two and a half to three hours, at which point you have to throw out all of the product within that, right? Yep. So yep. Self-solving that, the issue we've had with selling our technology is, well, unfortunately, that's disparately managed by a local refrigeration company, and we've already paid them for their annual contract. So self, you know, they don't want you to self-solve. They're not financially induced to help you self-solve. Right. And it, it's just a broken system because, so I'll, I'll, I'll try to wrap it up with this, is that new technologies like Carrier that come in require uh, structural changes to your contracts and the way you talk to your clients about what success is and a way and the metrics by which you capture that, right? Mean time to fix is great, but let's talk about who's doing it and make yeah. sure that that third party, if that third party for refrigeration company can get paid to help remote solve, they're going to do it. If they're not going to get paid, there's a couple of nice guys out there. I'm sure they'll help, but predominantly they're going to send that truck out and you're going to I- pay for it. You know what I love about this? I'm, I'm really enjoying the discussion, Lance. It, you're, you're talking about moving towards a success methodology, right? Yes. Where exactly. if it's not utilized, you're not going to get paid for it. And mm-hmm. if there's less 
uh, impact to us as the provider and you're doing the work, well, then mm -hmm. you're not going to pay as much. I, I, I love that because it's kind of the, the convergence. If I, if I circle back to the key focus areas from the service leaders agenda survey I referenced at the top here, it's the convergence of those three focus areas of innovation, expansion of the service portfolio and customer experience in initiatives coming together, right? You're thinking about the customer, you're thinking about your offering to the customer, and you're thinking about how you're innovating in that offering. And all these things kind of, it's kind of like a, uh, that's going to be our next podcast. How's that? I'll welcome you I back for that one. <laughs> and even, you know, as, as putting a sales hat on, so if I'm in there competing against a, a, a historically aligned maintenance contract, I'm just punching them in the face, right? Yeah. Hey, if you don't use it, you don't pay me. Yep. What you know? You can imagine yep. the guy on the other side of the table, like you know, starting to starting to squirm, right? Yeah. And, and aligning your success with your customer success, and including the financials, boy, that takes a lot of fear out of the buying process, and a yeah. lot of fear out of the switching process, right? Absolutely. I need to switch my my uh, the organization that's serving me. You know, the devil I know is the devil I have, but you know, but putting skin in the game and saying your success is my success. Let's make that switch and let's let's move into the new the new way of doing things. Um, that's pretty powerful stuff. Outstanding. So we're coming up on time, Lance. Can we uh, for our listening audience just to get to know you a little bit better uh, and sure. Carrie R a little bit better? What's next for Carrie R and, and maybe something personal, a passion, personal passion outside sure. of work for yourself? Would love to just get to know you better. Sure, sure. So for, for Carrie R, um, we're leaning into the content content creation, right? Yep. So. I'm sure everybody's seen AR digital twins and all this great stuff and the effort behind it. Um, so we're actually launching very soon something called content as a service, right? So instead of worrying or budgeting for each individual project, we're just going to build content for you. And again, pay for your usage, pay for content when you get creative. Some of the stuff you can create on your own. Some of the stuff is more complex. You need someone like Carrie R to do it. Um, you know, we're creating an ecosystem of creators. So different folks that do different things, we bring them in, they work on our platform. And so we're kind of democratizing that content because augmented reality is all about content creation, but creating things that are accessible and usable by other companies and, and all that, that's what we're trying to do. It's so it's bringing more and more and more out so that customers can use it faster. So uh, our experience builder and content as a service is something you're gonna hear a lot from the carry R in 2023. Uh, and it's just a way to just use our platform more, faster, easier to deploy and things like that. Um, so so that's where Carrier is going. Uh, where's Lance going? Uh, well, you know, I love this stuff. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a kind of a techie. Um, I love to talk about it with, with folks like you and do all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, I like using augmented reality in the real world. So I'm, I love cooking, right? And so, you know, cooking instruction and, you know, I, I, one of my favorites, you watch these shows and, you know, they throw some ingredients together, they whip it up, and all of a sudden a cake comes out of the oven, right? Like there's a lot of things that happen between <laughs> between yeah. the mixing bowl and that perfect cake, right? So using, uh, I, I'm, I'm a big into augmented reality smart glasses, right? So when you put them on, when the, the third party looks at that camera, they get that point of view. So I want to start creating some cooking shows using smart glasses that are really point of view, right? Showing you stirring it, showing you cutting the knives, like, you know, cutting skills. When you see someone chopping like this, it's awesome. But to see how to do it and to learn from a point of view, um, you know, hopefully I'll have all my fingers left when I'm done with my first few episodes. <laughs> and, uh, and and who knows uh, where we go. So it's also an excuse for me to eat. Uh, you know, so my wife kind of, you know, she'd much prefer I'm eating a salad, but that doesn't make a good show. 
you know, what makes a good show is, uh, you know, slow roasted, you know, pork ribs and things like that. So, uh, so that's where I'm headed with this technology in a more fun way. Good stuff. He is Lance Anderson. He's the vice president of industrial solutions for care AR. Thank you to care AR for bringing today's, uh, episode to our community. Um, it, uh, Lance, I just want to thank you. I mean, yeah. th this insight, you, you offered some great tidbits of information for our listening audience who's been thanking you as well in the comments. So thank you personally for, for you joining and thank you to Carrie R. Um, you can join us next time. Uh, we do this every other week. So our next guest, uh, they're all published uh, upcoming on our LinkedIn profile as well as on our website. You can see the next coming uh, segments. And if you want to access today's podcast, it's available on whatever podcast thing you subscribe to, whether it's YouTube or whatever, Spotify or whatever the other ones are. Um, and uh, it's also available at our website, the service console, excuse me, servicecouncil.com um, or the servicecouncil.com. We, we own both uh, URLs. Um, so um, thank you to Lance. Thank you to Carrie R. And uh, thank you for our listening and participating audience for joining. It's been a great discussion. We'll see you on the next seg segment. Appreciate your time. Cheers.